when you plant your seed, you stake your claim to God's promise. Hey, I'm Elish, and this is Jezebel and Friends, where my friend Helen and I are going to share some of our stories from Catholic school. Hey, I'm Helen, and to give you some context, we attended a K-8 through grade Catholic school and then an all-girls Catholic high school. This episode will be about sexual shame. Shame! Shame! Repent or die! Our episodes always need a trigger warning because themes of abuse are always present when unpacking the Catholic experience. Oh my god. Okay, so I know we actually talked about this last time we recorded, but I ended up cutting it out. Like, just I just cut like crazy. (laughs) I just trim and cut and trim and cut and snip and snap. (laughs) So the reason we wanted to do this episode on sexual shame is kind of obvious because that theme has been super present in most of our episodes, if not all of them. I actually took a class on sexual shame because I'm currently getting certified to become a sexuality educator And I've been volunteering with a place that provides comprehensive sexuality education, but I am just a teacher's assistant there because I don't have any credentials. So now I'm going through the process to get credentials. Get it, girl. Comprehensive sexuality education is for the entire lifespan. So it can start as young as kindergarten, talking a lot about just body parts, babies, anatomy, and age-appropriate stuff about bodily autonomy, just like letting kids know that they have autonomy over their body and that they don't have to hug or kiss or touch people if it's not comfortable for them, and also teaching them to not assume that it's okay to hug and kiss other people without asking, and then all the way up to like old people there are curriculums for it i can think of several people who need to take those classes (laughs) same i'm gonna enroll my entire family in a class so a lot of the classes i'm taking are classes that someone would take to become a sex therapist but as a sexuality educator then there's other classes that focus on education but it all makes perfect sense to me because like I have been living this and it's just like really validating to be like, oh, that's where like this long list of symptoms comes from. And the class I took on sexual shame, it was like a four hour long class. It was taught by two members of ASECT, Dr. Lisa Diamond, who is a PhD, and Natasha Helfer, who's a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist and certified sex therapist. So most of the information I'll share about sexual shame is from this class. Before I kind of get into some of like the heavy information, like just when you hear the term sexual shame, are you like, yeah, I have that. Definitely. But I feel like there's a huge part of that in general that I don't understand, like how far it extends sexual shame just impacts so many aspects of like our lives and like even interactions and like relationships that are non-romantic non-sexual like relationships like I'm just interested to hear more about it oh my god there's so much of that so I'm really excited to talk about it 
Do you feel like there are things like in the program that you knew about and understood but didn't realize it played into like a bunch of this is like such a broad question but you didn't like realize like how far it extended yes I definitely didn't realize how many aspects of like my own sexual shame and trauma like were the direct causes for my most recent relationship imploding I don't think you're an outlier I think it's like pretty common and if you think about like you're fully acknowledging that like you have sexual shame and sexual trauma to like unpack and you realize that that is impacting like the way you might react or respond to something like it influences aspects of like your behavior and like interactions whereas I just don't know how many people are even it's not even a denial thing like people just aren't aware that they have shame surrounding sex and that in a way impacts any relationship they have directly totally and like what I learned is basically Unless you, like, do the work to unlearn a lot of, like, the shame and, like, the sex-negative messages. Like, because you have to remember, like, America was founded by Puritans. And sex has been, like, deemed as terrible and evil since the beginning of our American society and American culture. So no one can really, like escape it even if you have a parent who like works really hard to like inform and empower you with sex positivity you're still out in the world and you're gonna absorb the messages that are majority negative but it is definitely getting better so yeah you're so right when you said like that you don't even quite realize how many of the ways that it's impacted you and I will say like I knew like a lot of the ways it had, but then to just take this class and have it all be in one place, it was like pretty heavy for me. And I did like have to take a few days to process it. And I kind of had like a mini anxiety attack about it. Just my heart started beating really fast and I got kind of choked up and I was just like, this is just like so disturbing. It is empowering to just learn about the science and be like, I'm not crazy. The way people treated me was wrong. And like the shame I was indoctrinated with was terrible. And like, it's hard that a lot of those messages came from my own family who like I have to see all the time and who I like want to have a good relationship with. But I am at least going to try to do something about it. I feel like even as overwhelming as a lot of that information was and like applying it to your own life and personal situations, as overwhelming as that is, there, I'm assuming, was probably some stuff that you covered that you were like, okay, that's really heavy, but I feel so much better and more like emotionally equipped to deal with everything that I'm dealing with right now because I like, I have context, I have information, I have like this explanation that like, helps me understand why I've thought the way that I do in the past. Like, I just think, and this like goes for anything that people are dealing with emotionally, whether it's related to sex or anything else. Sometimes you can like get stuck in a healing process. Like if I don't sit down and like journal and like get out everything that I'm feeling and like put it someplace that like I can reflect on or I'm not like 
reading about like why I do certain things or react certain ways like to understand my own emotional instability or something like I will just kind of be like stuck and I feel like there's no real growth ever happening because I just like I'm not equipped with the information to deal with everything I have to deal with where this information is a lot but it probably provides like some really helpful context for you like in your journey as an educator but also like in your journey as someone who's healing thank you yeah oh that's really good to know that you use journaling too I kind of struggle with using that I feel like every time I've tried to journal the things that I've written down have been like so dark that I'm like (laughs) I'm gonna be sent away if anyone finds this well I don't journal a lot but like in times when I've been so overwhelmed emotionally and I feel like it's like so loud in my head, all consuming. I will have to journal because I'm like, I have to put this somewhere because there's just like too much happening right now. So I feel like I only journal when things get like really, really bad and I haven't done it in a very long time, but I'm trying to like bring that back as a practice because sometimes, especially lately, I have just been so busy and I've had so much going on and I have so many thoughts about everything and I'm like I just don't want to be thinking about this shit constantly so if I put it down like maybe I can just like put it somewhere and like be done with it and make sense of it and move past it (laughs) so so back to you processing everything that you learned like where do you feel like you're at now with it is it like a hopeful thing or you still feel like you kind of have to spend some time with it I mean, it's hopeful for me that I'm, like, trying to switch career paths to actually, like, work on this issue and, like, maybe get away from journalism, which I'm just, like, really starting to hate. As a journalist or anytime I'm out doing that type of work, like, I get sexually harassed and, like, I can't take it anymore, honestly. It's time for the men out here to get their acts together and stop being so bad. We can start with some of the concepts that I learned in the class. And so they presented a quote from Dr. Noel Clark. It's the definition of sexual shame, an extensive definition. So sexual shame is a visceral feeling of humiliation and disgust toward one's own body and identity as a sexual being and a belief of being abnormal, inferior, and unworthy. This feeling can be internalized but also manifests in interpersonal relationships having a negative impact on trust, communication, and physical and emotional intimacy. Sexual shame develops across the lifespan in interactions with interpersonal relationships one's culture and society, and subsequent critical self-appraisal, which is a continuous feedback loop. There is also a fear and uncertainty related to one's power or right to make decisions, including safety decisions related to sexual encounters, along with an internalized judgment towards one's own sexual desire. If we start with like the first sentence, like sexual shame is a visceral feeling of humiliation and disgust toward one's own body. I have felt disgusted with my body for a long time. It's actually getting a lot better, but it's still there. But it was so, so bad at one point. Like 
it probably got the worst around like college and the couple of years after college and that's when I became bulimic and it was I felt disgusted with my body and I thought it probably had to do with like some of the things that had happened I wouldn't have necessarily known that that was from sexual shame but it was really overwhelming it was so overwhelming like it made me just do totally crazy and erratic and dangerous things did you feel like you had discussed towards your own body like in relation to sex or just in general like even like you just seeing your own body like in the mirror or like being in your own body I feel like all of the above I can relate to that I feel like I think about this a lot and it's so sad but the more people you talk to the more you realize like we've been overly aware of like how we look and how we think we should look in terms of like weight and appearance from like very young ages like I remember the first time I thought I had like a thought in my mind where I thought I was fat and it was like first grade or like maybe even kindergarten like that's way too young to even be like aware of like what's considered a impossible body standard to hold yourself to like why was I even like who introduced that to me I don't know yeah I know when I stopped drinking I lost a lot of weight I'm like 10 pounds lighter because of that I haven't been bulimic since then and it's kind of just gone away there was only like one time that I almost did it and and I didn't so Eating disorder behavior has come up like a couple other times, but it has been nothing serious. And overall, like I know I'm feeling so much better because I have no problem wearing a swimsuit, which like I could have never imagined that before. I don't know when the last time was that I did feel okay about my body. I don't remember a time when I felt okay about my body. Yeah, same. Yeah, and like that's really messed up. Every year, I feel like I go through this, like, phase where I'm just like, oh, I should be, like, working out more. Like, like if I ate that, like, I should be exercising, like, really hard tomorrow. It's like I have been, like, actively been trying to, like, work against that. And it usually just results in, like, me not working out because I'm, like, too tired and, like, not really caring. But, like, there is this ingrained thought process I know it's okay for me to like eat what I want and like or like just eat in general and like exercise when I want or exercise when it feels correct but like there's still like something in my head where I'm like I'm not doing enough or like I'm not being as good as I could be and it's like life is too fucking short to like actually be acting on those thoughts but it is crazy to like have like I don't remember the last time that wasn't kind of like in our lexicon which goes back to like us not remembering the last time we were like really happy and satisfied with our bodies I know once I talk a little bit more about this I am gonna list like um some of the mental health risks that come along with sexual shame and eating disorders and body dysmorphia is one for sure and like obviously we've both dealt with that (laughs) Yeah. I saw actually a really powerful quote 
by Naomi Wolf that says, A culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. So that just like changes everything because like I don't want to be obedient and I refuse to. I'm not going to starve myself and and be so weak that I can't like speak my truth and push for change and stuff. It's really just like crazy how like we are just ingrained to just hate ourselves so much and like hate everything about ourselves and just never feel like we're good enough. Actually making an effort to be healthy and care for yourself is like a form of self-love. What efforts can I make in my life that might seem like small that will make a huge difference and like make me feel like I'm doing something good for myself even if it's just like a really small thing and especially lately it's been eating breakfast like I used to just like get up drink coffee and rush right to work and be like I'll like have a granola bar like at the office or something and I never end up doing that but I recently started taking vitamins and if I don't eat like something with the vitamin like I will not feel good like it just it doesn't work the same way and it's become such a like sacred thing for me every morning to like now have breakfast and I feel like it changes the course of the rest of my day and I feel like it's sort of changed maybe the way I view my own body like in a positive light but just like it makes me want to keep doing like things that are good for me and are like healthy for me it's not like oh I'm working out as like a punishment I'm working out because like I feel like I have the energy to do that right now because I've been eating three meals a day and drinking water get it girl so we don't need to be overtly harmed or violated to experience sexual trauma All we need is to chronically feel unsafe in our body, in our gender, or in our relationship with our community. So the body responds to shame the same way it responds to physical wounding. And the absence of social safety is 100% a huge threat on the human brain, the human body. Well, I mean, I even think about how every day, it doesn't matter if it's during the day or at night, as a, like, just a woman, like, existing in society, I don't feel safe, ever. Like, really, ever. There are times when I feel safer, but I'm, I don't think I ever feel, like, completely, like, at ease. It goes back to, I think, like, the obedience thing you were talking about. It's, like, we're expected to kind of just, like, fit in this bubble and be inferior to men, and that's just how it is. And this is really dark, but always being, like, low-key hunted. Like, I think about that all the time because sometimes I'll just be in, like, kind of a questionable situation, whether it's, like, on the train or somewhere, like, in public, and I'm, like, someone could completely just do something to me, and nobody would, like, step in. I've been on the train when people have been fucking attacked, and nobody has done anything, which it's, like, that could be me, and people would act like it's not happening. Are you going to elaborate on, um, just how the absence of social safety impacts our relationship with sexual shame? Is it just the type of thing that, like, we're always kind of feeling it and we don't even realize it? Yeah, I mean, 
the examples I think of is obviously as our experience being women, we never feel safe in public. There's always a chance for something to happen. A lot of times it's verbal harassment, which just absolutely wreaks havoc on my nervous system. And I can't even always come down from the spiral it puts me through all the way up to like the physical threats. And then it's just like, I can't imagine what it's like to be a trans person. I cannot imagine. Like, thinking about it just makes my nervous system, like, completely flare up because there is no social safety right now. And just kind of always having to wonder, like, who is seeing you? And who is seeing you, like, as a person who is worthy of, like respect and rights I guess rights to safety and who is just sort of disregarding you as someone who doesn't matter so shame comes from our family religion culture media peers school sex ed government and legal systems medical systems and mental health systems and like within all of these like I can think of just so many examples that I have been shamed and we've talked about a lot of them on the other episodes so now there's like I have a long list of really common messages we get in society that lead to or cause sexual shame so just the normal heteronormativity and cis normativity like the the lack of representation of anything else and the fight to to keep those those groups and those people invisible discrimination against asexual people I feel like for so long until I got more educated I didn't even think that being asexual was a real thing because of like the messages I heard like people say oh that's not a real thing and because I personally have sexual urges I'm like well I can't imagine how anyone could not have sexual urges or libido and that's just There are asexual people. The societal assumptions that everyone prospers with an exclusive romantic relationship. And Ailish, we were just talking about how our parents are always like, oh, you're going to want this one day. I'm like, you say that again? (laughs) Like, it's not going to end well. Yeah, it's not the only way. I think what it comes down to is people in generations before us did not have as many choices because it wasn't societally safe, socially safe. And so like those people, they want validation through us and validation would look like choosing a very similar path and having a monogamous partner of the opposite sex and having kids that just doesn't work for everyone. Well, the concept of, like, that's what you need to prosper is so frustrating to me and one that I feel like for a very long time I've... I don't know where I got this from because, like you said, both of our parents are like, one day you're going to be married and one day you're going to have kids and it's, like, it's all going to be great because, like, what we have here as a family is great and I'm like... Yes, like, what we have as a family is great, but, like, obviously I joke about this a lot, but, like, I truly can't think that far ahead, so, like, I have no way of knowing if that's gonna happen for me, and I don't know where I got this line of thinking, 
but I've thought the opposite for a very long time that like having all of those traditional things in relationships like marriage and doing the whole like regular nine to five like living in a suburb having a house like that doesn't in my mind (laughs) that's not what like guarantees like prosperity I've thought That, like, if I really want to, like, excel in areas that I feel passionate about, like, I can't have a romantic relationship. Like, it's going to take away from the things that I want to do. And I said that once to one of my friends. I, like, I was like, yeah, I feel like if I want to be successful, like, I can't, I can't have, like, a relationship. And she was like, my God, that's, like, so sad. (laughs) I was like... That's just, like, how I feel. Like, I feel like if you're in a relationship, that's just another, that's another person that you have to, like, factor into, like, your decisions. Like, that's an important person, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like at least the way that I work even with stuff that I feel passionate about, I don't want to have to consider that other person as a significant factor in, like, what's next for me. So I personally feel like I can't prosper if I have that shit. It's going to, like, hold me back. Oh, my God. I totally understand what you're saying. And it, I mean, I think a lot of it is because the the messages that we get around relationships, they tend to be really heteronormative and traditional, like traditional gender roles that really tends to screw us over as the women in the relationship. Absolutely, because it's like there are just a handful of things that people assume like we're going to deal with. And it's like, I don't feel that way about friendships. I only feel that way about romantic relationships. I feel like romantic relationships pose a risk of holding me back from like all the things I want to accomplish. But like my friendships don't. Other messages that can lead to sexual shame are all the isms, racism, sizeism, ableism, ageism, traditional gender roles, males have to be studly and experienced, aggressive, the initiator, horny, and knows how to please his partner. Females have to be kind, accommodating, sexy, seducing, innocent, passive, low libido, and will be sexually awakened by their male partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, religious messages around purity, modesty, patriarchy, honoring your husband, the wifely duty to have sex, moral monitoring of what is deemed unnatural, the idea that the natural man is an enemy of God, can't do anything other than hetero married missionary position sex for procreation. Obviously, our episodes about Fully Alive and Pam Studsell just illustrate all of that perfectly. Relationship models trend towards monogamy and are ownership-centered. And that has been such a problem for me and just at all the relationships I've had. Not the monogamy aspect. I'd say that probably comes pretty naturally to me but just like the ownership model is because of the societal messages about it other things that can cause sexual shame are ideal body messages including genital shame and unrealistic expectations and fear-based sex ed 
and abstinence approaches. Of being like, oh, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to get infections, you're going to die type of thing. That's the fear-based sexual education. Yeah, and like you're going to regret it forever. You're going to be like a chewed up piece of gum after you lose your virginity. (laughs) Um, So growing up, we learned that many people's sexuality is disordered, dysfunctional, inappropriate, perverted, precocious, atypical, and considered acting out. When a lot of the stuff we learn that about, it's not accurate. Can we go back to the section about males having to be studly and experienced and then women being like passive and sexually awakened? Yeah. Did this course touch on like porn at all? This course didn't, but we have talked about porn a lot. I I I think like it would be important to just talk about how a lot of people's sex sex education is like porn absolutely there have been times where i'm having sex with someone and i'm like this feels like it's going in the direction of like reenacting a porn situation i'm like do you think do you think this is (laughs) this is how this is supposed to go because like i'm not turned on right now oh my god same it just seems very like performative and it's one thing if like that's a thing someone is into just being performative and like being a little bit freaky and weird, not going to kink shame. We're all entitled to like what we want to do. But like there are times where I'm like, it's feeling like you saw this somewhere and you're like choosing to introduce that as a situation here right now. And I'm like, and it's like doing nothing for me right now. <laughs> like, it just like doesn't seem natural at all. And like, that's because porn is like a lot of people's like basis of, understanding sex yeah it's like that's not real nothing about that is real i know that's such a good point point. and i've been in so many situations where people just expect to do these things that like it's asking a lot of me but they kind of just think that it's a normal everyday thing that they don't necessarily need to talk about ahead of time so then there's like a lack of consent i've just I've been with a lot of men and my my last relationship was not like this. I just want to be so yeah. clear because my last relationship was actually pretty healthy prior to that and also that would be prior to me getting sober. I have been with so many men who just feel so entitled to getting the exact type of sex that they want and mm-hmm. it can be things that have been physically very painful for me very uncomfortable things I did not like at all and they just kind of made it clear that if I wasn't willing to do it then the relationship wouldn't be worthwhile and that's actually called sexual narcissism this sexual shame it fuels that behavior this type of shame is can be used as a tool for bad sexual behavior sexual behavior that's abusive or coercive and i do think that porn does absolutely play a role the abundance of porn and the lack of sex education just lead to a perfect storm because yeah porn's probably it's not going anywhere like 
types of pornography have been around for like as I can even like at Pompeii there's like sexual images drawn (laughs) so porn is not going anywhere but porn is a type of media so we need like media literacy not all porn is created equal right some of it's great some of it's good (laughs) (laughs) just say it No, but, like, there are different kinds. Like, it's become its own industry. There's obviously some really raunchy shit out there, but there are people who are like, yeah, I'm going to make a movie, and there's going to be a narrative, and there's going to be actors, and there's going to be a script, and it's going to end in a big bang. <laughs> it's You're right. It's not going anywhere. If anything, it's getting bigger. <laughs> so, For sure. And it's like, I just hope that, like, the sex positivity movement can help the porn industry, like, become healthier and more consensual and stuff. Um, But it's, like, since we never learn anything about how to be media literate when it comes to porn, it takes a really long time to figure that stuff out. And it honestly reminds me of when we were in our, like, early 20s and you and I would just be like, let's, like, check out the porn sites. (laughs) We're like, what's on there doing the research? And it's like, because I think we had so much like sexual shame and lack of education, we were like, let's like look at it together because like it felt less shameful if we were both like, so we would like go on the porn sites and just like be like, oh, what's this? What's that? And we would like talk about, we would just like watch the videos side by side and just and be like, we'd be like reacting to it. We'd be like, holy shit. There was, like, also nothing about that where I was, like, (laughs) we're both watching this and we're both getting turned on. Like, we were genuinely so fascinated (laughs) in figuring out what was going on. Porn is so complicated because it's, like, a heightened, more specific version of us having to remind ourselves like what we see on social media and instagram is not real what we see on the porn sites is not real like you can't compare yourself to someone you see on instagram because it's been facetuned and edited and all the bells and whistles are on that and you can't compare your own body to that because it's not real it's not a real thing to attain just to put it into like real life context, here are some questions that everyone probably asks themselves as they reflect to the sexual shame that we feel. And they're all along the lines of what is wrong with me? So if you think about things you've Googled, like, is it normal to dot, dot, dot? And you'll see there are always like so many answers to that question. So Everything is pretty much normal as long as it's consensual and not hurting anyone. The first question is, is there anyone else who feels this way? It makes me think of like when we were all too scared to admit to each other that we masturbated. Oh my God. Or have like experimented with it or have or like had a situation in our like preteen years where we're like, oh, what is that? (laughs) But like... As we got a little bit older, all acknowledging that we knew what it was, but, like, I've never done that. It's like, shut up. Yes, you have. Yeah. (laughs) We've all been doing it for a long time. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. That perfect example. 
Um, <laughs> is it me or is it the relationship? How do I know if I'm really blank or if I'm just confused? So I could see someone saying, how do I know if I'm really bisexual or if I'm just confused? Because bisexual people are always told that they're just confused. Um, is this because of what happened to me? Am I ever going to get over this? Is it healthy for me to act on this? That's like the masturbation thing. Can I change how I feel? Will I be alone forever? How can I ever talk about this with my partner? How can I ever talk about this with anyone? And those are just all questions that are so relatable. And that's those reflect the sexual shame that's just everywhere in our society. So mental health symptoms of shame include inappropriate response of guilt and anxiety for normative and pleasurable behaviors. So like you should not feel guilty for masturbating. That's normal, but the Catholic Church will tell you you should. Body image issues like eating disorders and body dysmorphia, depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, often from religious trauma, obligatory sex, like sex within a marriage or relationship where you feel like you have to, or even outside, you just feel like you can't say no, sexual assault, the risk for substance abuse, and suicidality and suicide completion. So these are symptoms of shame. And this was something that hit me really hard because I've experienced every single one of these things on this list. Yeah. I remember feeling absolutely like possessed and like I had no control over anything when I was first experimenting with masturbating. That's so sad. And like I and I remember just being like I've already done it, so like I can't fix that. But I still have these, like, urges, and this might be, like, too personal for our listeners, but, like, it's the type of thing where, like, all of these things that you're listing that can come from this sexual shame and just anxiety and, like, hate for yourself and how you're feeling when it's completely natural are just, it's, just, like, this vicious cycle, and it makes sense why people completely lose themselves in it. Absolutely. Like, if you feel disgusting for long enough, your life is really going to go downhill. I feel like this almost explains, like, my entire life. Just these mental health symptoms. Yeah. From when I first developed my, like, adult body at age, like, 13 and started dealing with sexual harassment, which then led to worse things. Like, I've been having all of these symptoms ever since then. And it sucks because I actually was one of the few kids who was really excited to go through puberty. I remember that. I wanted big old titties. (laughs) I wanted to get my period. I wanted none of that. Like, as soon as I got boobs, I was like, I got to tape these bad boys (laughs) down. Like, I do not want these at all. And, like, I don't have big boobs. I know. And I love how you're always, like, so... You're so happy you don't have big boobs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just, like, I don't know what I would do with them. That's fair. But, like, I think they look great on other people. 
like go off. Sexual shame also has relational consequences. In a relationship, lack of sexual intelligence skills, fragile sexual ego, lack of sexual skills, lack of boundaries, lack of permission to self-advocate, lack of negotiation skills. Yeah, like I definitely felt like um, in my most recent relationship, it was like sexually healthy. Like, well, I'm not sexually healthy, but the relationship we tried to be. And I just had so many sexual problems that I felt too guilty to like really bring them up as much as they were impacting me. Did it feel like selfish to bring them up? Yeah. And like he was just trying so hard to be like so like kind and sensitive about like my trauma and stuff that it just almost because I just cared about him so much and I wanted the sexual stuff to work and it just was like very like defeating for me yeah chronic sexual dissatisfaction sexual entitlement and ownership models to the relationship that's kind of like the sexual narcissism significant orgasm gaps in heterosexual couples so maybe like one person's never orgasming lack of emotional connection to self and partner yeah that was a big one in my relationship fear of punishment or reputation retribution so this could be like what I was talking about earlier the unhealthy relationships I had years ago where it was like the retaliation I was scared of was oh well this person's not gonna like me anymore if I don't do this sexual act infidelity sexless marriage initiation fatigue Mixed orientation, marriage. Maybe I think that's when, like, someone's maybe not able to be honest with themselves or with others about their sexual orientation. So then they're in a traditional marriage that's not really going to satisfy or fulfill them. Marital coercion, including rape and assault, divorced, and domestic violence, both physical and emotional. So... Not all of these at all were problems in my last relationship. I actually am feeling kind of proud of the progress that I have made. Um, But I just still have like a lot of healing to do. So the brain will automatically try to avoid shame by ignoring, denying, forgetting, disassociating, defending, attacking, achieving, sublimating. Um, To sublimate means to divert or modify into a more... socially acceptable activity so maybe if you're gay and that's not socially acceptable then you'll try to be in a straight relationship um controlling and pretending definitely I have so much experience with denial oh my god I've slipped into really intense years of my life where I'm just completely in denial about things um And all of these are, this is what the brain naturally does. It's a protective mechanism. Yeah. Like, it's like survival. Absolutely. So, don't beat yourself up about this. They are effective. It's serving a purpose. um, But they're temporary, so you're not going to be able to be in denial forever. And then you're going to need more and more fuel to quell the fear. And that could be... Like, addiction, compulsive behavior, achievement. Like, if you're an overachiever, you're going to need to keep achieving more and more and more to 
run from your problems, basically. This is a lot of time where we see cult hopping, like maybe people leaving a high control group like Scientology and then they become Catholic or something. They're still, they're going from group to group and it's not ever going to get to the root issue. The thing that I think is important about that, which we have touched on in previous episodes, like cult hopping, is it's just like another form of searching for community and feeling like understood and feeling like you belong and you're a part of something that's like bigger than yourself. Like you feel like you're part of a pack. You're never going to fully feel like you're part of something or part of a group that you admire or want to be a part until you're like okay with yourself totally and every successful shame avoidance strategy just like that confirms that you will never be enough on your own so you're always going to need the next thing and so what I found so fascinating there are so many studies that show the poor quality of life that celibate clergy have um so if you just like google it it's study after study it's overwhelming the psychological distress levels that are seen in celibate clergy are similar to those living with chronic pain like lupus this program that i'm in is so affirming and just constantly reminds us that pleasure is a human right and I actually want to recommend the book, um, Pleasure Activism. If this is something that you have like struggled with, like this sexual shame, just shame in general, Pleasure Activism is a really, really helpful book. Um, and it's a little like hard to digest because you realize you've been living in a way where maybe you think pleasure is bad and like hard work and suffering are good because we're here in our capitalistic society but pleasure is a human right so our due to our puritanical history in the US our society distrusts pleasure everything pleasurable is shameful and this is not healthy for the human brain because it pits your experience and capacity for pleasure against your need for social safety and the human brain will choose safety every time because we were born to survive. You do the best you can to cope with this pain and the need for social safety at the expense of living your truth or just accepting that we're all sexual beings and there's nothing shameful or sinful about it. This is biologically and scientifically how we are. Can you say more about it pits your experience and capacity for pleasure against your need for social safety? If you are in a society where it's illegal or it's illegal or just not safe or not accepted to be gay, you're probably going to have to if you're going to stay in that society, you're going to have to either pretend to be straight or become a priest or fully lean into like putting yourself like putting a target on your back and just like living with the anxiety and stress that like you could be harmed for who you are right right but most people don't necessarily if they're in a very socially unsafe environment they typically wouldn't choose that route is what you're saying and they would like suppress their natural desires 
to pursue whatever makes them happy or feel pleasure. Then when you learn about all of this, you can try to provide a new and safer environment for your brain and then let it adapt to that healthier environment. So that means like seeking out community with really like warm, affirming and validating and accepting people who your values align with. And then give your brain a chance to unlearn like the self-hatred, self-loathing things and allow yourself to learn how to be in a more ideal society. A safe life without pleasure is not a full life, like being a priest. Your next bullet point about, um, for individuals whose nervous systems have learned to trade pleasure for safety, opportunities to experience authentic pleasure in a safe context are critical to healing. People whose nervous systems have learned to like choose the safety route over what feels natural like as a way of protecting themselves do you think that puts them in a situation to almost like not even feel safe to like I guess going back to the relational consequences like not advocate for themselves and feel like choosing any route of pleasure is inherently very selfish and in turn bad yeah absolutely because it can it's obviously easier said than done just oh well now that you have this information find a place where you can feel safe and let your guard down and start experiencing pleasure like it's not that easy at all like I noticed throughout my life like I would try to make myself feel safe by just isolating myself in my home and not going out and not doing anything. And I'm kind of still doing a lot of that right now. So there's like an element of letting go that has to happen, letting your nervous system down. And for someone with PTSD, that's going to take a while. And it's like if you're not equipped to work on that in a way that isn't tra- like more traumatizing in itself like you might not ever fully get to the bottom of it to the point where you can let that go it's just why there's just so many fucking layers to it and it's I, saying it's terrible like isn't enough because it there is just so much work to be done but if you don't have the proper tools to do it like how the fuck are you supposed to do it yeah um and actually you actually asked about examples of trading pleasure for safety and I said like what priests tend to do but it can also be like unwanted but uncoerced sexual contact so just when it's not like a full-blown sexual assault but you were too scared to say no so you said yes and it this is really common in adolescence and in many marriages and they tend to be situations where we say well it wasn't that bad but i had this sexual experience that was traumatizing for me cuz i didn't want to do it so common problems that we see from just being in a really sexually shameful society is that sexual development is intentionally interrupted like how we felt so much shame about masturbating. Normative sexual behavior is inappropriately shamed, 
causing confusion in early childhood shame. So this can be like being punished for masturbating. Which is just like so strange to me. I know. And it's so common. Yeah. Like it's like I feel like masturbation is the type of thing that like kids are just going to happen upon on their own from like exploring their own bodies and having thoughts and having hormones and like bodies that are developing and I just punishment is just so like archaic to both of us like it's it's one thing to like see that your kid is going through that and be like newsflash like we don't do that out in the open like we have to do that like on our privately it's like it's it's a private thing there's nothing wrong with it versus like seriously punishing someone for that and then like it just opens like this whole other can of worms right and problems right it can cause an inability to explore things such as sexual drive orientation gender identity and preferences for relational styles and family planning so we're just not allowed to think outside of the box of the husband and wife only having sex in marriage to procreate. We're taught to make sexual decisions from sources of external authority versus self-trust. So like what people are telling us we should do versus what we know is right inside or what we know we want. Immature and underdeveloped understanding of sexual values based on fear or consequences instead of pleasure. When people wait until they're married to have sex, oftentimes pleasure is something that they can't even figure out for many years, if ever. I can't imagine doing that. It's such a common thing. They're in purity culture, like we were in purity culture, but we didn't really subscribe to it because we were just like, we've got to get out and bust a nut. (laughs) You know what you should look up, and you might have already done a deep dive on these two, there's this youtube account of these two very like christian girls i already know all about them girl defined oh my god like it is crazy like they both waited until marriage and they're like fully grown women and like only kissed they're they're now husbands and a lot of people like that like Because sex is so shameful, they have a hard time getting in the mood on their wedding night. Because it's, they've been brainwashed. Yeah. Because they're like, what is this? Like, what is this? (laughs) Why, why are you naked? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we're going to talk about more stuff in the next episode, just because there's so much to unpack here. But I just kind of want to conclude with these really serious implications for sexual shame and stigma. So if we don't take this issue seriously, we risk not getting to the root of the issue and being able to make a healthier sex positive society. So the human brain is always going to care a lot about what other people think. And that's just the way we're wired and it's not going to change. But Sexual shame is really, it's actually being called by several professionals, it's being called a public health crisis because 
there's a dramatic increase in mental health struggles and suicide rates are way up. There's a massive backlash against the LGBTQ plus community, especially youth, which again, mental health and suicide. And it has everything to do with how we group and marginalize people. So thanks for listening to this because sex positivity is absolutely necessary in building a better future. And we're not taught these things in school. So we have to go elsewhere to learn about them. And once you learn about it, it's a starting point for a healthier future. Thanks for listening to our eighth episode of Jezebel and Friends. You can find us on Instagram at Jezebel and Friends.